Hi, today's Bible reading is in Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 35, and Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the garden plants and become a tree, so that the birds of the sky the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables, and he did not tell them anything without a parable, so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. I will open my mouth in parables. I will declare things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure, buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. It's really great to be with you all. Uh, my name is Isaac. I'm one of the ministers here at our church. Uh, yeah, it's really great to see such a full room, right? Uh, now, as we kick off today, I want to ask you the question. Have you ever thought maybe Christianity is dying out? Maybe Christianity looks weak, maybe even laughable. Some of our youth, even at this time, think that Christianity maybe is a bit of a joke. Maybe as you look at the stats of our country, it discourages you. Or in your own personal Attempts to share Jesus, it discourages you. I wonder if you've even thought that Christianity, it, it might just be a Western kind of uh, white religion that's sort of dying out and it's kind of in Australia and, and countries like this, but isn't really spreading to the rest of the world. Now today we're going to get a glimpse into what the kingdom of heaven is really like, as Jesus tells us. We're going to think about how we might enter into it and for these first two parables, the parable of the mustard seed and of the yeast of the leaven, I bunch these two together under one question for us this morning. Uh, can you see the life-giving kingdom? Now, as we look at this idea of kingdom, we need to think about what Jesus is actually talking about. Uh, Rachel's actually already helped us this morning. Uh, kingdom of heaven really just means kingdom of God. They're the same thing as Jesus speaks about these two um, things. Often Jewish um, people would have kind of avoided to use the word, uh, the name of God, as a way of like showing their awe for God. Often they kind of substitute a word like God or heaven uh, instead. Oh, sorry, heaven or, uh, yeah, another word instead. Now here in Matthew 13, Jesus, he's not so much talking about the place of heaven, the realm of heaven, but it's about the rule, the reign of God. As the kingdom of uh, God, he's showing us what his rule looks like and how we can be part of his kingdom. He's really declaring to us that he is king, the saving, the redeeming, the transforming king who's come into this world. He's broken into this world 
And he's like a foretaste of the world to come, where we'll all see Jesus as the king exalted. So as Jesus speaks to us about the kingdom of heaven, he is speaking about Christians, but it's even more than that, the reign, the rule that he has over this entire universe. So with this first point for us today, what we're really asking is, can you see that Jesus is reigning? Jesus begins with this story of a mustard seed, this tiny little seed, and he says it's the smallest of all of them. Now, technically, you might even be aware that it's actually not technically, scientifically, the smallest of all of them, but in that part of the world, in the first century, it would have been, to their knowledge, the smallest one they had uh, encountered. So Jesus, he, he tells us this story. And I looked at this, uh, this passage a few weeks ago in my growth group, and one of the members in our growth group actually went home and found a mustard seed as they were cooking their dinner and showed us a photo of it. So here you go. Uh, you probably can't even see it, right? <laughs> Absolutely tiny. An ant could crush it. Yet it grows to be one of the tallest garden plants. It's called a tree, this potent little seed. This thing is unstoppable. It produces this explosive growth so much that magpies can kind of hang out in the branches of this tree. So what looked weak becomes glorious. And just like the mustard seed, a tiny amount of yeast is added to a humongous batch of flour. And in Jesus' day, they would have been baking bread every day. They didn't have preservatives like we do. This would have been a very common experience for them. The woman in his parable has enough flour to feed basically like 100 people. So almost enough for Sherry Mill Sunday today. We've, I think we've got about 170 people, 180 people signed up, which is just incredible, by the way. But there's this tiny little bit of yeast for this huge batch. But it's enough. It permeates the whole batch, and the lump of dough rises dramatically just from that one little ingredient. So this parable, it's really showing us that God is building his kingdom. And we can look at the first two parables of the mustard seed and the yeast side by side because they're really telling us the same point. From a small start becomes this amazing growth of God's kingdom. Over time, Jesus' reign is becoming more and more evident as he comes to rule in more people's hearts. At the time when he taught this parable... Jesus probably, yeah, his kingdom, it probably looked like nothing. And, and him as the king of this kingdom may have looked really weak to many. Certainly at the cross, it would have seemed like he was crushed for good. A King Herod would have looked far more impressive and long-standing than Jesus. And while the nations and the kingdoms loomed large in the days of the disciples as they followed Jesus, Jesus taught them that his kingdom would grow. His reign, it might be missed by many people. It might be blown away in the wind like a mustard seed, yet they weren't to underestimate what God was doing in his world. And it's quite incredible how it grows. I think about how kingdoms often grow. It's usually through warfare, right? Yet here we see Jesus' kingdom is a life-giving, a peaceable kingdom where even the birds are taking shelter in it. Now, these parables, they reveal to us that right now Jesus is the reigning king of kings. And I hope your eyes have been opened to this. See, the, the Bible promised 
that a day is coming where every person who's ever existed will bow down and see Jesus for who he really is as the king. On that day, his reign will not be questioned by a soul. So that's the vision of what, what's to come. And this parable, it also gives us great hope that more and more people now will see that Jesus is this king. So take heart that our God is building his kingdom and nothing can stop it. That ought to fill us with great confidence. His kingdom will continue to grow. No matter what might come in its way, no matter what kind of sin we might have or poor strategies of mission we might have, God will continue to grow his kingdom. And what a joy it is to actually see this before our eyes, even in pockets of the world like in Tungabi. While we can easily focus you know, on the expansion of evil or the expansion of other religions, we're going to spend some time today to think about the expansion of God's kingdom here on, uh, in our world. Even though many people might claim that Christianity, you know, it's dying out or it's this Western religion, we're seeing that modern day mission really is bearing fruit all around the world and it truly is from everywhere to everywhere. See, these stats from 2010, you can see there in the little graph there, it does show that, look, America is still the kind of uh, largest sending nation for missionaries around the world. But look at some of those other countries that are sending huge numbers of missionaries. Brazil, South Korea and India, all up there. Or even in our backyard, South Koreans are ministering in Outback Australia. Isn't that incredible? And what's happening at the moment in the Muslim world is astonishing. I just like the explosive growth of that tiny little mustard seed. God is doing amazing things in the Muslim world, which ought to have us praise him for such growth. Uh, I came across this study by a guy called David Garrison. Uh, he looks at the history of Christian mission in the Muslim world. Uh, it's called A Wind in the House of Islam, and I spoke on this topic actually at youth this past week. Uh, and we joked about how it's not talking about farts. Uh, it's talking about the Spirit of God uh, actually going through these parts of the world, the different houses of Islam. And he talks about these movements in history. He defines one movement as 100 new churches being planted or 1,000 new baptisms of Muslims to Christianity. So the next slide is actually going to show us what's been happening in these countries or in these parts of the world for a long time, there wasn't many movements to Christ, were there? Remember, one movement is a hundred new churches or a thousand new baptisms. But look at what is happening in the Muslim world at this point in time. That incredible growth in many, many places. So as we consider the parable of the seed and the yeast, let's not be blinded to Jesus' rule in our world. Other powers might seem like they're in control right now, Yet we encourage that his kingdom is growing. So the question remains for us. Can you see that Jesus is the Lord of the universe? And related to that question, do you want Jesus to rule your life? That's really our second point for today and really the last point that we'll be considering today. Will you give yourself to the life-giving kingdom? Now these last two parables about the treasure and the pearl I start from verse 44, and they're really all about desire. What do you want? So you might know this meme. Uh, there's a picture there that's going to come up from a movie where he says, look, what do you want from the notebook? If you're not aware, that's all right. I can tell you what it's all about later. <laughs> See, do we truly want the treasure 
or the priceless pearl, more than any other treasure on earth. Now, I think we often think of this idea of desire in a negative way. We can equate desire with ungodliness, right? And we'll see in these parables that Jesus isn't saying that you know, desire is wrong. He's, he's telling us to greatly desire what is the best thing for us, the most um, to be treasured thing in the world. And in this way, Christianity is quite different to Buddhism. Now, you might be aware a key, a key teaching in Buddhism is the rejection of all you know, desire and craving. Now, Buddhism teaches that desire is what leads to suffering. And in a way, we can see why they might you know, teach against desire and craving. A lot of the Bible teaches against you know, um, sinful craving and sinful desires, that we should reject them. But not to reject all desire entirely, right? Instead, we discipline and we calibrate our desires to things above. See, we're in training and Jesus here, he's coaching us about what we should want. See, people do incredible things for what they want. Now, just think about the many prisons that are full of people who went after what they wanted, even to the point of being locked up. So what does Jesus teach us to desire above all else? Well, Jesus, he's asking us, do you personally want him as your Lord? That's what he's speaking about here. And that's what I hope every one of us would reflect on today. For you personally, is there a desire for Christ to rule today? And maybe you're starting to drift in your faith. You're starting to negotiate with God and come up with the terms of how you want to relate to him. Or maybe you're not sure yet if Jesus is a good king to have. You might still be searching through some big questions of your own. And wherever you're at now, I sincerely hope that you would want Jesus as your Lord. For he truly is a good and gracious king. I want us to follow Jesus as Lord because this is the treasure of the universe. That's what we see in this parable. Jesus' lordship is the treasure of the universe. Verse 44, we're told of a man in a field. And as we discussed this in my growth group, we kind of uh, were wondering, was this man just sort of illegally digging in someone else's field? What is going on here? But we, we settled on the idea he was going off for a stroll, for a hike one day. He wasn't sure where he was. Uh, he goes off on this walk. And as the guy wanders through the wilderness, you know, he's feeling his heart pump faster as the sun shines down on him. He takes a big breath and he starts to, you know, scan the path ahead of him and where he's going to go. His feet hit the ground one after the other. He looks up to the birds in the sky and bam, he stubs his toe on the most treasurable thing in all of the universe, the most valuable thing in all of the universe. Can you imagine such a treasure? You know, a simple chest with some coins in it doesn't quite cut it. It's hard to comprehend such a valuable fortune. This man knows he's just hit the jackpot. It's more than he's ever seen. Then he gets himself together and he realises it's not his yet. He rushes home, he sets all of his things out for a garage sale. In his joy, he kind of gets rid of his things so that he can purchase that field. You can imagine, everyone must have think, thought, to, you know, what is he doing? Why is he getting rid of every single thing? Surely you need a bed at least. What is happening? But he knows the secret about that field. It would amass wealth for him, for his family, for his friends, every, everyone he's ever known. It makes all the sense in the world to give yourself 
to Jesus with joy, just like that. Notice the word joy in this parable. The man is so stoked to find this treasure, and in his enjoyment, he lasts, you know, he goes to this garage sale and gets rid of all of his things. He knows the riches are coming soon. Seeing that Jesus is Lord of the universe and, treat, and treating him that way is the treasure which brings great joy. It might look foolish to our world, but it, if we've truly understood the value of Christ, it'll make all the sense in the world. Uh, recently, I heard um, of a grieving wife uh, who was sitting next to her husband as he laid uh, dying, and they were both followers of Christ. Uh, she had a great joy in Christ, even in this moment. Uh, one of her, their friends was actually quite refru- uh, frustrated um, with her joy in the midst of this grieving. And clearly there must have been lots of pain and sorrow. Yet as her husband laid there dying, his wife simply said, My husband deserves to go to hell, like you and me. But because of Christ, in a few hours, he will be with God in heaven. Is that not worth rejoicing about? Even in those dying hours, is that not worth rejoicing about? The treasure that she had been given, that he had been given, what joy in salvation. So giving up treasure now might seem, really it's trivial in comparison, isn't it? To gain that greatest treasure of eternal life with God. And we can see this idea expressed by another follower of Jesus in the Bible. Now the Apostle Paul, he speaks of this in Philippians 3. It should come up there. He says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Like Paul, might we count everything else as garbage compared to knowing Christ and having him as our Lord. And the reason we can give up everything else for Christ is that he gives us this life now and life for eternity, right? And might we not just hoard this joy, but share it abundantly? See, shared joy increases our joy. See, the goal of treasuring Christ, you know, valuing Jesus properly, it's to share that treasure with others. (laughs) We can't just be content to feed ourselves on this treasure, but we're anxious for many others to see this as well, to experience it. And John, uh, John Piper, a pastor from America, uh, had a really helpful uh, saying here. He says, Hoarded joy rots. Shared joy increases our own. As we hoard our joy, it rots. Joy is meant to be shared. As we share Christ, our own joy dramatically increases, just like that yeast even does. So where do you see your mission field in your life, in your backyard, in Toongabi? Are you part of sharing this joy with a desperate world? I'd love to encourage you today to consider sharing this with those who need to hear it. Now in the second uh, parable here, uh, this same idea of treasuring the kingdom uh, comes through. That the kingdom of heaven, it's described as a priceless pearl. The merchant, he knows what he's looking for this time. He's never seen something, you know, a pearl so big or so shiny, whatever it might be. And again, he sells all that he has so that he can purchase that one pearl. 
you might be wondering, are we being taught here that we can buy our way into the kingdom? Uh, maybe, you know, through donations to church or, you know, indulgences to lessen our suffering later. Well, no, absolutely not. Simply by what Jesus has told us about how we enter into the kingdom. He's taught about that quite a lot. And one place he does is Mark 10. He says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter it. So you can't get into the kingdom because you buy it. But you get into the kingdom because you want it. You want to receive it like a child. You, you don't purchase it. See, if membership in the kingdom of heaven can't be bought, what's the point of this parable then? What does it mean to give up everything? And I don't think it's you know, business advice for us to go and get rid of everything that we have. In fact, keeping our things or amassing wealth may certainly be a wise choice if we seek a gospel generosity alongside this. But Jesus, he's teaching us about what we should want above all else. Jesus' lordship is the best deal ever. And these stories, they teach us that the kingdom of heaven is so valuable that if you lost everything on earth to gain it, it would be the best deal you ever made. If you lost everything on earth. And of course it's the best deal, right? The kingdom of heaven is the rule of Christ. That Jesus has triumphed over every enemy, all of our enemies. He's victorious. You might have even heard a, a very popular catchphrase from the missionary Jim Elliot, uh, the martyred missionary Jim Elliot. He describes his joy that he had in giving himself up for Jesus. He says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It makes all the sense in the world, doesn't it? Jesus brings us into his life-giving kingdom. And we had no way of accessing this life ourselves. Jesus, he is worth rejoicing in. Uh, I've really loved, as a church, uh, singing a particular song uh, lately. I think it, we are mainly singing it at 6pm, but I'd love to share the lyrics for you even this morning, which talks about this joy in Christ and treasuring him uh, on the screen there. Uh, it says, You deserve the, the greater glory. Overcome I lift my voice. To the King in need of nothing, empty-handed I rejoice. You deserve the greater glory. Overcome with joy I sing. By your love I am accepted. You're a good and gracious King. See, we come empty-handed to God. And I think a lot of us kind of get that in terms of forgiveness and what we need to um, be forgiven uh, for. But we are saved entirely by God's grace. From the start to the end, we are empty-handed. We gladly give up riches and treasures if it means that we gain Christ and can rejoice in Him. See, the God of eternity, He's acted already to bring us into Jesus' rule and Jesus' reign. As the all-powerful God, He promised to provide for us an eternity of enjoying Christ. And what a treasure that is. Uh, can anyone else provide us a treasure like that, of enjoying Christ forever? You know, there's no advertising company, there's no person that could rock up on our door and give us something like that. True disciples are those who recognise that the kingdom is that valuable. They won't give up for anything. 
and it's a happy sacrifice. It's a kind of sacrifice which, you know, you look back on, and you might even describe in your own experience that I never made a sacrifice. It really wasn't. I was given so much more in return. Today, you might recognize that you haven't given Christ the honor that he deserves in your, in your life as the Lord of the universe. Maybe you're convicted that you haven't given him the time that he deserves as the Lord of the universe. Maybe it's your words that you haven't given him as the Lord of the universe. Or your money, your finances that you haven't given him as the Lord of the universe. Or your obedience to him. Jesus really does deserve the greater glory as our good and gracious king. Uh, and I was actually personally really challenged by past Isaac on this topic. Um, just a few days ago, <clears throat> I was reading through some old prayer letters that I used to send out uh, to my supporters as I um, was at Bible college. And I read a letter that I wrote just a few weeks after kind of coming to Sydney, and I was looking for um, more support and prayer from people. Uh, and in this letter, I asked for some more uh, financial support. And I had said, look, at this point in time, um, I'm actually living off, you know, 128 bucks per week, uh, apart from uh, rent and board. Uh, we'd love some help. We'd love, love some help there. And I just was so shocked by it. Like, inflation's a real thing, right? Uh, you probably, that'd be a huge struggle right now, living off that. But I was challenged by my view on this topic in the past and how I look at money even now. Uh, if I had held on tightly to my money... I wouldn't have pursued an apprenticeship. I wouldn't have gone to Bible college. Uh, it's, it's not a very smart financial choice, right? But it was these words from Jesus that were supremely encouraging to me. Uh, I was no fool to give up my things for the sake of the unstoppable and the priceless kingdom. That was a great deal, right? And I was in this position of freedom and an opportunity to do it. And God has shown me the treasure found in his kingdom. And I don't regret any of those decisions. I regret lots of other purchases that I made, but not uh, that, I guess, gospel generosity at that time. And we remember today that we need God's work in us to treasure Christ. This doesn't just happen by gritting our teeth, right? It's by his grace from the start to end. The only way we can want Christ to rule us is if he works in us. We need the Spirit of God to help us to desire Jesus' glory, to make Jesus' name great. And now, as we come to the close of today, uh, you might have stumbled on the treasure of the universe. You might have seen that Jesus is the Lord of the universe. But my prayer for all of us is that God would help us to savour Jesus, to hold on tightly to him, and to recognise that we can joyfully give up everything on the planet to gain such a treasure. Uh, let's pray now to that end. Our dear Father, um, we know that we often treasure temporal things here on earth. Help us to treasure Christ and to see his supreme value as the Lord of the universe. And might we gladly submit to him as the good and gracious King. It's in his name we pray. Amen.